Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every Sunday is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. We've got a very, very special show for you this morning as we recap a week that was like no other, and that's not easy to say in this year of 2020, right? There were 14 teams that canceled, boycotted their games during this week to respond to the shooting of Mr. Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Seven times in the back while he was held by his T-shirt by a policeman. It started with the NBA on Wednesday when the Milwaukee Bucks said, we're not playing. And then it went on and on and on. We'll take you back to some of the interviews that we had during the week where we tried to examine the role of the athlete in this situation and the role of athletes in numerous situations like this and how the athletes have changed from one era to the other. We went through a period during the Michael Jordans and the Charles Barkleys in that era, but now this era, you're looking at the LeBron James, the Giannis Antetokounmpo, some of the other major young athletes who are making a stand saying enough is enough. We'll take you back to some of those interviews next. It's a special edition of New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Special edition of the show as we go back and hear some of the poignant voices and thought processes of what happened during this week in response to the shooting of an unarmed African-American man in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We begin with Dr. Harry Edwards. He appeared on the Michael K. Show, this week hosted by Chris Carlin and Peter Rosenberg. Listen carefully. Obviously, Dr. Harry Edwards, one of the foremost voices, great sociologist, Professor Emeritus. Hear what he had to say as he joined the guys this week. Somebody that uh, I had a conversation with about a month and a half ago, and he is just uh, one of the giants in uh, this sort of discussion when race intersects with sports. He has advised Colin Kaepernick. He has advised John Carlos. Um, so many. He is Dr. Harry Edwards, one of the leading voices in this country uh, when it comes to uh, the intersection of race and sports. And he joins us right now. And Dr. Edwards, we really appreciate the time. It's Chris and Peter here in New York. I didn't necessarily expect this to be happening uh, when you and I spoke about 20 minutes ago that this would actually be happening this second. But uh, your reaction, first of all, upon hearing that uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are talking, uh, at least showing as if they are going to boycott an NBA playoff game in the wake of what happened earlier this week with Jacob Blake. Well, one of the things that I said a couple of years ago was that uh, given the trajectory of developments in American society, particularly in the wake of the 2016 presidential election, that uh, we would get to the point to where athletes uh, would uh, be lined up even for uh, championship tournaments. And at some point, uh, you're going to have uh, teams saying, uh, you know what, uh, we will come out and play uh, when this society, uh, when this uh, uh, nation begins to deal with some of these critical problems that impact our lives as well as the lives of the communities that we, uh, that we come from. I mean, when you look at uh, what happened to Jacob Blake, when you look at what happened to uh, Rayshard Brooks, when you look at what happened to Breonna Taylor, when you look at uh, what happened to George Floyd, these athletes recognize that the only reason it was not them was that they were not there. 
And what they're saying now, okay, we appreciate the symbolism, the taking down of the flags. We appreciate the mouthing of uh, Black Lives Matter. We appreciate uh, the playing of uh, Lift Every Voice and seeing at the opening of the first NFL uh, regular season games and so forth. But now we want to move beyond symbolism to uh, actually doing something about this. We're demanding that the society does something about this. This is not about... Uh, us simply uh, being angry or protesting, we want change. The normal is not acceptable. The normal is toxic. That's what gave us this. We want change. And we're going to start by making it clear that we're not going to proceed as normal. We want change. So, uh, Dr. Edwards, you're much smarter than both Chris and myself, and hopefully you can lend something to this. What we were discussing earlier is, to me, this seems like it potentially has a great effect. There's a lot of, of financial power in these NBA players, a lot. Um, and you might know more than me, but I, I would assume that um, NBA players may have as much um, financially in terms of power in the black community as anyone out there in this country. So they are the perfect vessel, potentially, for this message. They can shape economies they can really affect major businesses and and the amount of money made so i think there's a lot of potential impact here my question is what specifically if it were up to you um or just in your opinion what do you think players should ask for because i i don't know if it's enough to boycott don't you then also have to say here's what we want to see what could you possibly ask for and how would you go about it well, the first thing that you want to ask for is that everybody be uh, allowed to have a uh, respected uh, seat at the table. Uh, these are uh, issues that go beyond uh, the arena, go beyond the pavilion and the stadium. Uh, this is stuff that essentially came over the stadium wall, that came in through the pavilion um, uh, turnstiles. Uh, but at the same time, that leverage can be used to ensure that the people who are most directly and immediately affected by this are around the table where decisions are being made in terms of what do we do about 147 black men, women, and children, most of them unarmed, being shot down in the streets under cover of the badge every year uh, in this country since 1968. And it's not about just the killings. It's about the symbolism of those who represent the judicial system uh, being involved in these murders. Because then the community doesn't feel comfortable taking the cases of the murderers in their community to the judicial system because the police officers might come out and kill them, which has happened on a couple of occasions. So at the end of the day, what these can demand is that there's a sincere uh, effort to make sure the people are around the table and involved with decision-making authority and power uh, in the discussions about how we resolve this. Ultimately, we have to move from a concern about the pain, which everybody's in the street and demonstrating about and so forth, uh, to a concern about the problem. The pain is in the African-American community, but the problem, the institutional and human relationships generating that pain is in the white community and what they're saying is you have to sit down with us as equals and talk about how you're going to resolve this you created it you perpetuated it you're responsible for it every time we see uh, somebody like jacob blake shot seven times but a white supremacist who shoots three people in cold blood then walks up with his gun to the police uh, who are uh, standing by uh, during the protest uh, and then goes on home 
they re- they arrest him at home later. This is the kind of thing that we want stopped, and this is what the athletes are saying. Dr. Harry Edwards with us, noted sociologist and uh, the foremost authority when it comes to race and sports here on the Michael K. Show. Dr. Edwards, has anybody from the, have any of the players, Players Association, have any of them reached out to you about this? Have you advised them at all? And if not, how would you advise them about this? Well, I've been talking to uh, players uh, and coaches um, uh, and owners uh, that are uh, associated with the uh, uh, NBA for some time now, going into this situation about what their options were in this uh, in this pandemic era, and the fact that uh, whatever decision they make, they're going to be uh, tougher decisions up the road. If you uh, decide that uh, you're going to play as a league, then you have to make the decision: what does the body count have to be for you to decide? Maybe it's time for us to shut this down. If you decide that you're not going to play as a league, then you have stuck with the issue. Suppose we're not talking about a pandemic, but something like uh, the the common cold and the regular flu which are endemic, uh, and in point of fact, we've only eradicated one viral disease in human history, and that was smallpox. Suppose this becomes endemic, and you decide you're going to shut down. When, under under what circumstances, do you open back up, Uh, given the fact that if it's endemic, the body count is going to continue? So even with the vaccine. So, uh, I mean, with the uh, vaccine that we have for the common flu, we still lose between 30 and 40,000 people uh, a year. So at the end of the day, I've been talking to them all along. I've talked to a couple of athletes about this situation, uh, particularly in terms of the LeBron James-Kyrie Irving split, where Kyrie said, I'm not going to play because it detracts from the message that I want to deliver. Uh, and um, uh, LeBron says, well, as long as I have my platform, my me- message becomes all the more powerful. Uh, and as I told them, they're both right. So my uh, uh, point in talking to anyone at this point would be do what you feel is conscionable and correct. But first of all, do your homework. Understand the dynamics of what you're dealing with and what the likely options are uh, given the choices that you make, just as if you were trying to decide whether as a league we should play or whether we should not. Well, I have to say, uh, Dr. Edwards, I don't know if you have it on right now, um, but it is a dramatic scene to see the empty court with the Milwaukee Bucks logo, um, to see a shot outside the tunnel where you see officials waiting right now to see if the Bucks will take the court. And, of course, it makes perfect sense. Milwaukee, about 45 minutes north of where Jacob Blake uh, was tragically shot in Wisconsin. So it, it, it makes perfect sense that this is the game that happened and the Milwaukee Bucks refusing to take the court. And I'll tell you, Dr. Edwards, to me just right now on the outside, if nothing else, just having this moment is powerful. And I was saying to Chris earlier, if you look back at the beginning of COVID-19, the NBA's decision to shut down was the biggest moment we had that told America how serious COVID-19 is. This league wields a ton of power, and you feel it the second anything like this happens. Absolutely. And, of course, the challenge now is that given what's going on in the NBA, do you think that the NFL is not watching? Do you think that Major League Baseball players are not watching? Do you think that these other teams and leagues are not watching? Uh, at the end of the day, I think that they all recognize that, hey, there has to be progress, not just symbolism. Just because you mouth Black Lives Matter doesn't mean you get it. 
any more than if a bunch of men stood up and said, me too, they would get it. They would understand what it means to be a woman uh, and your car is parked half a block away and in, in, uh, after dark. Uh, the, the, the fear, the anxiety, the concern that she has just trying to walk to her car. You can say me too a thousand times. You don't get that. And so what they're saying is, hey, we've got to change. Uh, not, we're grieving here. We're not just offended. We're not just outraged. We're not just protesting. We are offended that this black man, for no apparent reason, was shot seven times in front of his three black sons, and nobody has been arrested. We haven't got a single statement from the police department in terms of what happened, why it happened, and what is the fate of the perpetrators of this attempted murder. This is what they're saying. These players are grieving, along with the fact that, as I stated, they recognize that the only reason it was Jacob Blake and not them is that they were not there. Sham Sharania of The Athletic is reporting that it is official. The Bucks players formalized their decision pregame to boycott Game 5 against Orlando. The Magic wanted to play, but then they returned to their locker room. Meanwhile, they are cleaning up uh, at the venue right now and taking everything down. Dr. Edwards, where is the best case scenario here for the league, for the players in getting their message across with this is this is it wiping out the playoffs altogether because i think we can all agree that this problem is not going to go away in the span of 12 hours this is going to be a long process it's going to be a long progress a process i think that the uh, that the league uh, can uh, get together with the players and decide rather than a five game uh, a playoff. We're going to have a three-game playoff, and we're going to dedicate those uh, games that uh, are not played uh, to uh, this uh, this process. Uh, we're in it. We support you. Uh, we're together with you on it. It's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us uh, television revenue. It's going to cost us perhaps uh, some uh, fans uh, who consider uh, uh, watching uh, the basketball games and the playoffs more important than what's happening uh, in terms of the murder and attempted murder. Uh, on an institutionalized level of uh, citizens in this country, we are better than this, and we stand with our players. So now, uh, in this first round, we go through a, to a three-game playoff. Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us about this. It's obviously a, a really complicated thing, and uh, yeah, you, you, you and really it's continuing to roll out. Yes, and we will continue to talk to you as this uh, as this grows and this we'll see what happens later tonight i mean who knows what the lakers and blazers blazers do we'll see what lebron james has to say today so obviously this is all unfolding in front of our eyes and we appreciate the time all right thank you good luck thank you so much incredible conversation but what do you expect from dr harry edwards along with chris carlin and peter rosenberg it's a special edition of new york sports and beyond this sunday morning here on 98.7 espn when we return stephen a smith spoke with me about how this NBA boycott affects social justice and what's in the future. How do they turn this into something positive and how do they use this leverage? That's next on New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty, special edition of the show as we recap and review some of the comments Statements that were made by people in response to numerous athletes making a statement 
in the NBA, WNBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, MLS, and tennis. Let me not leave out tennis, where a tournament was postponed for a day because of the reaction to an unarmed shooting of Mr. Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin this week. I spoke with Stephen A. Smith during the week. And you know, he's been in the forefront of some of the statements and some of the analysis of the role of the African-American athlete, the role of leagues in using their leverage to make a statement. Here's what Stephen A. shared with me this week. We welcome in my colleague from First Take. Stephen A. Smith joins us on the Chris Carlin Show. Stephen A., Larry Hardesty with you. How are you, my friend? My brother, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Thank you for a couple of minutes. I know you're swamped. Your thoughts. I saw you on Twitter, how proud you are of what the players in the NBA have done by going on strike. Well, as I said on SportsCenter about an hour and and 15 minutes ago, I said this. Had it been Milwaukee just by themselves, I would have been incredibly disappointed. I thought it would have been ill-advised. I thought it would have given the impression that the NBA players community was completely fragmented, not together at all, and I think that would have been disastrous for them. But the second that I recognized that all the games were ultimately postponed and that the players were standing together in unison, taking this position, I was incredibly proud of them. The Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo, deserves a lot of credit. We all have seen his story of the poverty-stricken circumstances under which he grew up and what he had to go through to just get here and to be at this position. Uh, if, it were, if he were not supportive of this, this would not have happened. Uh, if Coach Budenholzer, uh, him standing up and supporting the players the way that he did, he should be applauded. Uh, but then all the players that followed, because in the end, if you want real, real change to take place, uh, it's going to have to be done that way. There's a political apparatus and infrastructure that exists in our country. There's politicians uh, on Capitol Hill and beyond, uh, local, state, federal officials uh, that can ultimately have a profound impact by what they elect to provoke being implemented into um, our laws and what have you. And in order to uh, just basically motivate them to do that, you know, owners, commissioners of the sports leagues, the leagues themselves, they have always been a part of the political structure in terms of facilitating, you know, cultivating relationships and networking with politicians and people in positions of power to make things happen. And I think it's important that the players learn from that and do the same. You crawl before you walk. You do something like this to bring attention to your cause and the things that you are most concerned about. That's step one. But when you're able to stand up and walk is when you take this to another level and you start influencing those people in positions of power to influence others in position of of power so we can get the kind of things done that are necessary to make society better and equal for all. I think this is a step in that direction, and I'm incredibly proud of the players for doing so. So so am I, Stephen A. Now my, my, my curiosity now is, of course, because as LeBron James wanted us to make sure it's not a boycott, it's a strike, in a strike scenario, you're you you're striking for something. Just from your thought process, Stephen A., what's the next step for them? Where do they go? But ultimately, I think that obviously if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, um, and because this shooting in, in Wisconsin took place with uh, Jacob Blake and what have you, I think you're going to see the players demand 
that the attorney general, uh, you know, it, you know, ultimately uh, arrest this guy and charge him with how charges police officer with a crime. I think you're going to see Breonna Taylor revisited, uh, the young lady that was murdered or killed rather in Louisville by law enforcement officials. You're going to see people calling for somebody to be arrested. You're going to see that investigation t- intensify. I think you'll hear those cries. But ultimately, to me, that still doesn't amount too much. If you're not going about the business of influencing laws, I am a person, Larry, that has been on this bed, on this, or to this horn for weeks. I believe there should be a concerted effort, a concerted push to make the shooting of an unarmed person, period. But obviously, a black man, that's what we're talking about here. I think that should be uh, labeled a federal hate crime. I believe that should happen because obviously that carries a a more severe penalty and it has a far more ranging effect. And I think that's a strong step in the right direction. We need to be going after changes in the laws as opposed to just protesting and boycotting. But I don't mind it as long as that's not the only step. Stephen A. Smith is my guest. You're listening to Larry Hardestein for Carlin on 98.7 ESPN. Stephen A., I was struck. I've known Doc Rivers a long time, as you have, to hear him today emotional, the frustration, the anger, the disappointment in his voice. Uh, Stephen A., this is an emotional time, and while we need as many people to work with us to affect change, it's, it's just so frustrating to have to go through this again and again and again. Well, listen, the reality of the situation is we have to be, we can't conflate the two issues, nor should we. Um, You know, the law enforcement officials shooting unarmed black men is a problem, particularly when you've got an Uber driver in Michigan that kills about seven people and he ends up getting arrested and he's alive. Or Dylan Roof shoots six, walks into a church in, in, in Charleston, South Carolina, and shoots and kills nine but the man is fed Burger King on his way to jail. They stopped to give him Burger King. You know, when you when it's bad enough that those things are happening and we certainly don't need to conflate those issues with what I'm about to say. But black lives, if it matters, it has to matter all the time. Just like it matters when law enforcement officials are shooting us. Just like it matters when white folks are shooting us. It also needs to matter when we're shooting each other like what happens in Chicago and Baltimore and St. Louis and other places throughout this nation. Black lives, we have to be consistent with that message, not conflating the issues, not decide, not, not trying to lump it all in like it's the same because it absolutely positively is not. But nevertheless, if we want to say that black lives matter, we need to do, put forth our due diligence by making sure to accentuate the point that black lives matter all the time, not just when it's taken by someone who's not black or is not wearing a black uniform. No question about it. Stephen A., I saw you uh, on First Take this week, and you had a, a very, very interesting uh, comment about African-Americans serving on juries and how it seems as though that police, when they shoot unarmed African-American male and females, that they think that if they let them go, like... They, they're not going to. They're not going to serve time, or they'll be able just to walk free, whether they've committed the crime or not. Well, I think what I'm trying to say that day, I think it was Monday that I made that statement because I thought it was important. On far too many occasions, you know, you try to, you find yourself trying to imagine 
Why is it that white folks can do certain things and they end up alive and arrested, but black folks can be completely unarmed mm -hmm. and still can be considered a more lethal threat and ultimately end up getting themselves killed, even when they're in handcuffs laying on the ground because some police officer doesn't know to get off a guy's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. You find yourself contemplating this, and one of the things that I deciphered, just speculatively, is that you must think that you have to do something because if you don't do something, they're not going to be punished for whatever you perceive their transgressions to be. And my response to that is black people have been putting black people in jail for years, for, for, for decades. Black folks have no problem holding black folks accountable. We've always been great about that. You put a black folk, I said, when you, uh, when you, there's a black defendant, most of the time, there are black people in that jury box, and they got no problem sending his ass to jail. Mm -hmm. It's not a problem, because black folks have been doing that forever. So this notion that somehow, some way, they're going to get away with some kind of punishment is a, a complete misnomer, because black people have always taken law and order very, very seriously, regardless of what you know, society or the media or whomever to try to disseminate or perpetrate. We don't play. We are about holding our own accountable. Look at how we hold each other accountable just when we have different opinions alone. White people disagree with one another all the time. They go out to dinner. Black people disagree somebody's a sellout or a coon or something like that. We are vicious to one another on far more occasions than folks recognize. And so I just wanted to take a moment to remind folks of that when I was on First Take the other day, this notion that black folks somehow, some way, are apologists for one another, and we let people get away with stuff. You couldn't be more wrong. We actually don't do that. Stephen, one last thing. Obviously, every, every sport doesn't have the same structure as far as the player's availability to do something like the NBA has done. I'm thinking, obviously, of the National Football League. But what pressure does this act from the NBA put on Major League Baseball, put on the NHL, put on the NFL? Well, it puts profound pressure on them. Like, for example, with the Seattle Mariners, they have 10 black players on their squad, and I think they just announced that they won't be playing tonight either. So now Major League Baseball is affected. So it's definitely going to apply pressure to some degree, no doubt about that, because the more – the sports world stands up in unison. And it's especially important that the white players stand up because white America is not going to turn their backs on white individuals bringing attention to the grant, to the transgressions and the insidious behavior of folks from their own community. At least that's what people believe. So I definitely think that's important. But ultimately, what it comes down to is that you can't give the impression that time enough is going to resolve all of this. And that's what the NBA players are trying to eradicate, that just let things fade away and will fade away. They're not going to let it happen, but it doesn't mean that they don't have to be smart. They've got to be smart and, and calculating uh, with what they want to do. It's not enough to provide lip service. It's not a, enough to give off symbolic gestures. You have to do, you have to use your cachet to provoke change. I'll give you a perfect example. If you recall, Trump made all the noise in the world about, um, about Colin Kaepernick, as I'm sure you remember, Larry. Mm -hmm. Can you still yep. hear me? 
Yeah, I hear you fine. Now, yeah. if you remember, now, if you remember when he made that noise, right, the owners were standing up for him. No one really thought about it until I went on the air and mentioned, excuse me, the owners are supportive of Trump, but it ain't because of Trump. Remember, they wouldn't let him in when he wanted to grasp ownership of the Buffalo Bills in 2014. Mm-hmm. How would I know this, Larry Hardesty? I was on the phone with Donald Trump. Donald Trump called me in 2014 mm. and said to me, quote, if they do not let me, if they, don't, if they screw me over and don't let me in this club, I'm going to run for president. That's what he said to me in 2014. Wow. And they didn't let him in. They didn't take him seriously, because I damn sure didn't take him seriously at the time when he said that. And lo and behold, he did it. So once he became president, all of a sudden their, their behavior changed. Well, why did it change? It's very simple. They wanted to get a piece of the action once the Supreme Court okayed the states getting involved in gambling. Mm-hmm. They wanted a piece of that action. That requires legislation on the part of Congress, something that he could sign off on or veto as president of the United States of America. They didn't want to alienate him, so they made the case in their own mind, Larry, Colin Kaepernick ain't worth this. We're trying to get paid. Colin Kaepernick just a player that's getting on our nerves, you know, with his whole kneeling during the national anthem, which, by the way, we think is going to cost us money anyway. So forget him. Let's focus on feeding this dude's ego so he'll view us as being on his side. And that way he'll pass, he'll assist and pass the legislation that'll help us get some money from this gambling pot right here. And no one saw that. But that's who they are. And so why can't you as a player become that guy? Why can't you influence your owner and get your owner to influence the commissioner and get the commissioner to influence the board of governors and then use your collective clout to go up on Capitol Hill to make some noise? Why can't you do that when lobbyists do it every day? That's right. Thousand percent right. Stephen A., always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for checking in with us. We'll watch you on First Take tomorrow. I know you'll have a lot to say. Thank you, my brother. Take it easy. All right, take care. Stephen A. Smith. (laughs) Imagine Donald Trump called Stephen A. Smith and told him he was running for president. Wow. When we return on this special edition of New York Sports and Beyond, the NHL came under fire for not joining their counterparts. Well, they did, but this gentleman wrote a scathing article and it changed 24 hours later. I'll tell you about that next. You're listening to a special edition of New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. Thanks for stopping by New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Special edition of the show as we kind of review an interesting week in professional sports where games were canceled players refused to play in response to the unarmed shooting of an african-american in kenosha wisconsin the nhl came under fire because they did not cancel their games postpone their games the same day that the nba and the wnba did scott burnside is a writer for The Athletic, and he wrote a scathing article about the NHL and social justice. He joined me to discuss why the NHL took 24 hours to change. Join me in welcoming my guest. He had an, a very, very entertaining article in The Athletic 
about the NHL and the chance for them to uh, maybe a missed opportunity. It's called NHL and Social Justice. Let's welcome Scott Burnside to 987 ESPN. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me aboard tonight. You're welcome. So, Scott, uh, you're a pretty powerful man. You write this article, and all of a sudden, we got two days of no hockey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure I can take any credit at all for that. But uh, no, and I, and I think it's been, you know, it's been a fascinating 24 hours or 30 hours in, in the life of the National Hockey League, and, and certainly, I think an important period of time for for the players themselves because. I don't think there's any doubt that there was uh, there was time last night as we were watching what was happening in, uh, across the sporting landscape, starting with the NBA teams in, in Orlando, and it did seem like the NHL seemed ill prepared for this. That the players seemed they seemed a bit, they seemed mystified as to as to how to proceed. But I do think that they've done a nice job in the in- intervening time and having discussions amongst themselves within the the eight teams that are in the two bubble cities in Toronto and Edmonton. I know they've reached out to uh, players with the Hockey Diversity Alliance, uh, an independent group of players that are uh, had formed earlier this summer. Um, to focus on uh, systemic racism and intolerance in hockey. So I think there's been a lot of dialogue in the last 24 hours, and, and you're absolutely right. For the first time in, in, in weeks now, there'll be no hockey tonight, no hockey tomorrow night, and, and I think this is a good opportunity for for the players and the teams and their fans to, to maybe reflect them on, on the greater issues at play here. Scott, uh, for those who didn't see the article, once again, it's in The Athletic. The first... Uh the first two paragraphs for me, the first three lines for me were the story. It says 27 seconds. That's how long the NHL felt was appropriate to spend in acknowledging yet another shooting of an unarmed black man in America. Wow. (laughs) And then we go on to say on the video scoreboard were the words and racism. And then 27 seconds from that moment, the public address announcer reads the script and we're off and we're playing hockey. How did that, affect you so that you point it that was the major thing that jumped out at you apparently right well yes and i think that you know as we were as we were watching uh, all that was unfolding across the you know the various sports yesterday i thought and again the nhl has I, i think they have tried um and you go back to the the start of the return to play um, this summer after the uh, pandemic pause and Matt Dumba from the Minnesota Wild making a very passionate speech uh, at the very start of the play-in round in, in Edmonton. Uh, and uh, we had a couple of nights later, we had a number of players kneeling, Tyler Sagan and Jason Dickinson from Dallas, kneeling alongside Ryan Reeves and Robin Leonard from the Vegas Golden Knights. A real, I think, an important show of solidarity. And, and then there's, you know, there hasn't been much said since. Okay, the playoffs are going on. But in this moment last night, I, I think there was an opportunity, and we saw other sports, other athletes sort of organically come together and say, this, is, this has got to stop, and, and the games are not that important right now. And and this moment passed, and you know, for me, the, there was a uh, the public address announcer uh, wished uh, Jacob Blake and his family well. I mean, no acknowledgement of what had happened to that mm. man in Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin. So, uh, I think that was the moment, and I, I know I wasn't alone. There was a lot of uh, criticism of the league and the players on social media and in other platforms and commentary, um, and it was a missed opportunity, I think. 
But again, I think if you're a glass half full person, and especially I think we, we need that kind of, you know, sort of optimism or, or thinking, um, you know, of the positive side of things as opposed to only the negative. I really do think that the NHL and the players uh, over the last 24 hours, I, I hope they've taken a really important step forward. And I, I hope that this is a, a building block and a real learning experience for the players because it's really important that they understand how important their messages are to, to, the, to not just hockey fans, but, but to people who watch sports and, and take their cues on how to behave from professional athletes. No question about it. Scott Burnside is my guest from The Athletic here on 98.7 ESPN. Scott, let's let's talk about the Hockey Diversity Alliance and, and co-leader Evander Kane. From your reporting and talking to guys around the league, how is this working? Is it effective? And where does it need to go to be more effective? Yeah, and I certainly don't speak for the uh, Hockey mm-hmm. Diversity Alliance, but I, uh, you know, having been in contact and, and watching how this has unfolded, I think they are absolutely critical to this because they are an independent group. Uh, a lot of current players, you mentioned Evander Kane, Matt Dumba, um, and and some former NHL players who, uh, you know, I think of guys like Trevor Daly, Kim Ali, who come with it with a, a, a very important breadth of knowledge and experience uh, as black hockey players. And I think the fact that this in, independent group, they have put some pressure on the NHL um, to live up to the, some of the promises that they've made in terms of uh, inclusivity and fighting against racism. It, I don't think it has moved as quickly as a lot of people would have liked but I think it is absolutely critical that there is this independent, well-organized, thoughtful, well-spoken group um, that can can apply pressure to the NHL and make sure that they are trending in the right way. And I think even in the last 24 hours, they've shown to be an in- incredible resource for NHL players who may not know what to do, who may be at a loss to, you know, the, I believe their hearts are in the right place, but how do they how do they make sure that people understand that that's what they want, that they do care, that they do want to make a difference. Because last night it appeared that they didn't. And I think the uh, Hockey Diversity Alliance is going to prove to be an incredible resource moving forward, not just in terms of the NHL and the structure of the league itself, but also for the players within the league now who, who might need some guidance, who might say, what should we do? What, what kinds of things are going to make an impact? What kind of um, you know, what kind of strategy should we be employing to make sure that these aren't just hollow phrases and, and uh, uh, empty gestures? It's interesting that you bring that up, Scott, because ultimately that's really what all the athletes are talking about, right? They're all trying to find out what's the best way to use their platform to try to get that change. We had conversations earlier where it looks like the NBA players are really trying to work with the, the league and the owners to try to help them broker, you know, some conversation and level and leverage their influence to try to get maybe bills passed or changed for how police brutality is going on or adjustments into how police do their business. And so on the ice, when the NHL, uh, that is the question for them. How do they use their leverage as, as players in the National Hockey League? Yeah, and, and I think it is, it's about a balance and <clears throat> what is the message, what kind of images. You know, I, I, I think of even last night, I understand that it, that it, to, hard, to turn on a dime and, and, to have, and for players to walk away from games that are scheduled, okay, I, I'm not even sure that was that important. But to have some sort of symbol, uh, uh, to have, you know, I'm thinking about the Mets and the Marlins, 
uh, uh, earlier this evening and a moment of silence and walking away and leaving a Black Lives Matter T-shirt uh, at home plate. That's to me. I mean, it, it, uh, it makes me choked up just talking about it. So, it, it's to me, it's unfortunate that there couldn't have been a moment where the players could have, you know, found a way to um, to present a unified um, message, even a brief one last night. Um, but I do think your your point is so excellent in terms of beyond talking and what happens is making the game of hockey more inclusive. That's critical, but even more broadly, um, the more broad landscape uh, that the hockey diversity Alliance, my understanding is that they, like some of the other pro teams are asking NHL owners to perhaps make their buildings available for mass voting, turn, mm. turning them into mass voting sites. So following on the heels of some of the other, requests and discussions that other athletes and other sports are having with their owners about how they can work together to make a difference. My sense is that the NHL players are, are moving toward that kind of discussion, um, which I think is important too, because you're right. It's, it's about the action after it's about how you keep carrying this forward and having a lasting impact um, beyond these, uh, the, the moments where these games are not being played and, and people are focusing their attention as they should on broader issues of, of racism and, and police brutality. Scott, last question. How should we view the NHL when their statement was, uh, we support the player's decision, but, I mean, before, saying we're not going to uh, cancel or, or postpone games unless the players push to do that. Is that, how do we view that? Should we view that as, well, maybe you could be a bit more forceful, or should we say, you know what, that's what the NHL is supposed to do. They're not supposed to, they're supposed to be a neutral party in this. If the players want to do that, they make their reaction to the NHL, and the NHL will respond. Yeah, I, I do think it's more the latter than the former. And I think mm -hmm. it's, I mean, to me, it's important that it wasn't Gary Batman coming down and saying, well, we're not going to play any games. Um, because we we want to uh, focus our attention on on the issues that are going on in, in Wisconsin or wherever. I mean that I mean that would have been something. But I do think it's important that this, in some ways, is a grassroots um, uh, movement from within the players themselves. And and again, it's taken some time, maybe too much time for some people. Uh, I think that that what has happened in the last twenty four hours is important because it has come from the players. And I think it's important that the the NHL isn't that they aren't dictating the terms of this. And, and I think that was important for the league to be able to step back and say, you know, we're not going to, we're not running this show that it's important that it comes from the players. And even though it took longer than it probably should to get to this point, um, my sense is very much that the league is in lockstep with this The league's not opposing it. So uh, I do, I think it's an important distinction that this comes from the players. And I think it's important that these kinds of messages continue to resonate within that player group and, and, and push outward from the players as opposed to being dictated by owners or, or by league executives. He does a great job writing for The Athletic. He is Scott Burnside. In this edition, he's chatting about the NHL and social justice. Scott, thanks for a couple of minutes. We'll talk to you down the line as we get closer to the NHL. And maybe we can discuss what's going on on the ice, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm up for any of that. Call anytime. All right, Scott. Thank you very much. Fascinating. Because really... All athletes are trying to figure out what's the best way to use their leverage and to help with owners to put forth the pressure to make that change that needs to be made. 
And that's what this is all about, ladies and gentlemen. That's what today's athlete is looking at to leverage their power and their voice to help make change. It's a start. And we're not naive enough to think that it's going to change everything right away like you turn on a light switch. But it's a start. And the journey begins with one step. That wraps up this special edition of New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. We thank you for listening. We'll join you during the week on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday on New York Sports and Beyond. For my incredibly talented producer, the one and only Ray Primetime Santiago, I'm Larry Hardesty. Conversation continues right here on 98.7 ESPN New York.